0: Good to see you all this morning. Thankful for uh, Calvin, um, your leadership, and even thinking about uh, helping us learn a new hymn, or a new version of uh, singing Psalm 23. So I was thinking about it this morning. We've, we've, uh, we've spent eight weeks uh, in, in the book of Psalms. So we're, we're eight weeks in, and, and usually... Isn't it with amen, whether it's uh, in the fall semester, the spring semester, you get about to the end of uh, October and beginning of November, and the thrill of, uh, and, the, and the energy and all that stuff that you felt when you started in September uh, can wane at times, and you're getting into the rhythm and pattern of being uh, week in, week out as Dan prayed in God's Word. Also, we're, we're hitting a psalm. Psalm 23, that is probably, well not probably, it is the most known psalm in, uh, in the whole Psalter. And probably the most known chapter of the Bible, passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. And one of my concerns that I've, I've felt this week, both for myself personally and for all of us, is that the familiarity that we have with this psalm could cause us to really miss what God has for us Uh, This morning and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to approach this psalm in a little different way Um, And you'll see that in the outline and see what I'm saying We're still going to be expositional because we should always be expositional Um, Let me just warn all of us if you have the opportunity to teach The temptation to get creative and to not trust that this is the living Word of God And that you can go through verse by verse and you are going to land on the very things that 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 audience needs. The temptation to abandon that in order to be clever, witty, or thought of as a good teacher is great. Um, So if you teach, uh, resist that temptation. Um, I'm not trying to be clever and witty this morning. Uh, Instead, um, using the same tools that we normally use to study God's Word and be expositional, I just want to apply them in in a different way. And so, as we look at this psalm, we're going to ask the Lord as we're moving along, Lord, refresh this in me. I'm familiar with these words, but I know you want to speak to me today. So what is it you want to say to me, Lord? How do you want to teach me today? And how can I be refreshed and renewed even as I look at this psalm that is so familiar? So we're going to do it in two ways. We're going to start by looking, as you see, point one. We're going to look at what it means to be guided by the structure of the psalm. We're going to look at a lot of the intellectual pieces of it and give us a framework for understanding it. And then, uh, secondly, we're just going to go through these different wonderful phrases and words throughout this psalm and understanding that, that as we approach that, we want to be transformed by what we're reading, which is not just an intellectual process. So first of all, the structure. What's the framework which helps us understand the depths and the meaning of this for ourselves guided by the structure? Well, we could have approached things like letter A with just the outline. That would be an easy outline right there, provision, presence, preparation. Provision, verses 1 through 3, God is providing uh, for David. Um, Presence, going through the valley of shadow of death in in, in verse 4. And and the fact that God's presence is what David needs in that moment. And then preparation, I prepare a table for you in the presence of my enemies. So God's uh, making sure as a shepherd, as a host, uh, setting the table uh, for David, uh, his servant, and his son. The other thing that I think is important for us to see here as we understand the words here, is, is what takes place there in verse four. Notice the change that takes place in verse four. Notice that it goes from David saying, "He is the Lord, he is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. And in verse four it switches to you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of earth, I will fear, you are with me." Why is it that he switches from he to you at that place? Well, it's because he's gone from the green pastures to the valley. He's gone from the place where, where it's easy to understand God's blessing, and now he's gone to a place where, where he's fearful. Uh, he's concerned. He's worried. He's stressed. He has anxiety. And in the green pastures, you, you often we often look at God and say, the, the Lord is my shepherd. He, is, he has blessed me. I'm here in these green pastures. And when we get to these places where we struggle with pain, where we struggle with need, don't we end up crying out, Lord, help me. I, I, I need you. We don't, we don't have a tendency no longer to just speak of, of God as, as God, but now we need him personally. And our response to him is someone who's crying out, and it leads us to the Lord. And so in the same way, for David, he goes from this place of proclaiming Yahweh, the covenant God, uh, as the one who, who has done all these things, in leading him to the green pastures. And now as he's going through the valley of the shadow of death, he's saying, you, personally, I need you here. So that, that, that change is important for us to, to, as we understand this psalm. And then notice the change that takes place in verse 5. So it it talks about the Lord is my shepherd all the way up to verse 5. And then in verse 5 it says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now it seems like we're talking about a banquet. Like he's a host. uh, God is a host. And that David is now a guest in the house of the Lord. Um, It's interesting. Some of you may have read Philip... um, Keller's book, uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller was a pastor, but he was also a shepherd for eight years of his life. So he takes his experience as a shepherd and he goes ahead and applies what he understood about being a shepherd to um, Psalm 23. It's fascinating to look at. He talks about the weakness of sheep, he talks about the fact that when David says, uh, um, He restores my soul, um, that often that the, the image you would get, he said sometimes sheep, uh, he said they're just the dumbest, weakest, most frightful animals ever, which, of course, when we're described as sheep, that doesn't feel like a, like a great compliment. But he said sheep are so just stupid um, that they will sometimes lie down when they're feeling a little, like, you know, full from whatever meal, or maybe they've just gotten a little fat or there's too much fleece. They haven't, they haven't had their hair cut recently, and they'll, they'll find a, a little indention in the ground of what seems comfortable, and they'll lie down there with their belly, and as they kind of shift their weight, all of a sudden their feet no longer touch the ground, and then they panic. And, of course, when they panic, what do they do? They just end up on their back. And he said, if, if, if untouched, if there weren't a shepherd there... The sheep, because of the shifting in their intestines and all this and the gases that build up, they'll just die there. They'll just die as a result of lying down to take a nap. And without a shepherd to write them up, they're in trouble. Another one of my favorite uh, authors um, talks about his time growing up on a farm where they had sheep. And he talked about how just how stupid sheep are and how much they need to be guided and how easily scared they were. He said one time there was this uh, sheep that used to uh, come around the barn right about the time that he was out there milking the cows like his mom and dad had him do as a chore, and uh, and this sheep would uh, would always get out and be around the barn and, and not stay where it was supposed to, and he said, it always interrupted my chores. I was so irritated by this sheep, so one time he said... I thought to myself, I'm just going to scare this sheep back to running back to where it's supposed to be and not wandering here. So he said, I hid on the edge of the barn. I saw the sheep coming. And then I just jumped out. And I was like, ah! And he said, the sheep just looked, fell over, and died. <laughs> he said, that's how pathetic we are and how badly that we need a shepherd. Now Keller, in his book, uh, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, he wants to make an argument that, the, that the, the, the description of the Lord hasn't changed here. That it's not going from shepherd to host, but that it's going, that he's still talking about a shepherd. Because he said, as a shepherd, you often uh, would move ahead of the flock a little bit. And once you got to the high tablelands, you would go ahead and you would try to prepare that pasture. You would get rid of um, uh, just uh, logs and sticks there that might. Uh, that might puncture the sheep because, he, again, he said they're so dumb, they're just eating the grass, eating the grass. They won't realize as they get something stuck in their side. And so he said preparing that table. He said also that in, uh, in, the, in the Middle East, uh, shepherds often, uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, they would actually create this mixture of olive oil and uh, I can't remember what the other stuff uh, was in this, and olive oil, sulfur, and something else, and they would pour it over the sheep to protect them uh, from bugs. It was like a bug repellent, so they wouldn't get irritated by the bugs. And so Keller wants to make the argument that David is not leaving the shepherd uh, analogy. Boyce uh, loves that Keller makes that connection. Um, Piper and others say, no, it's clearly switching to host, because look at how it ends. It says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Let me just say this. I'm not sure it matters that much. <laughs> I don't think it changes the meaning of what we read there. Um, but I am going to probably, I'm for our sakes going to go with host, um, because I'm not, uh, I'm not entirely convinced that, uh, that Keller hasn't applied his own experience and just pushed it on to the psalm. But again, I don't, I don't think it matters. There's some neat things to think about the fact that this shepherd analogy hasn't left. But the thing that's probably most uh, gripping to me personally is what I wrote there. And this it, it is my own thought. I've wondered to myself, is this, is this really just David's personal testimony? Now, when you read Psalms and you read Samuel and you think about David's life, and you think about David's prayers that you can read in, of in Samuel, and you, and you, and you read this psalm, are we, getting to, uh, are we getting to see David's personal testimony? And the reason I, I, I wonder this is because it's so personal to begin with. Uh, David uses I and me throughout the entire psalm. And I wonder if that's even why it ends up being so personal to us. I wonder if that's why it's such a beloved psalm is that there, there's, this, there's this deep uh, intimacy in here. And, and we can relate to these things even as David, who struggled in his obedience to the Lord at different times, yet at the same time was called a man after God's own heart and probably felt at times like, man, he was the most frustrating child of God that the Lord ever had in his family. And yet at other times he would talk about the delight he felt uh, in God's uh, favor. And going through all this, and here in Psalm 23, seeing him say, I and me, and talking about this intimacy with the Lord, is this, is this his personal testimony? And is this what draws us to this psalm in particular? You know, my, uh, my approach to my quiet time has been, over the last decade, has really centered around, around four things. Um, at times, it's, it's moved off this, but mostly it's centered around this. There's two books that I turn to regularly. One is a book called Disciplines for the Inner Life by Benson. It takes you an entire year to go through. Um, and it's been a book that has been uh, very helpful for me as a framework to approach scripture. Um, what I love about the book is that it, that it emphasizes the study of scripture, and it gets me in my Bible. Um, another book that has had a pretty big impact for me is A Guide for Prayer for Ministers and Other Servants. Same thing, same format of getting me into Scripture and it takes it through an entire year. And and it is for me a a framework for for me to know what to read. I, I struggle at my quiet times early in the morning. I have, you know, kind of spiritual ADD. And so I need to have a guide that says, this is what you're supposed to read today. I also have a prayer journal. I don't have a prayer journal because I'm more spiritually mature than you. I have a prayer journal because I struggle to stay focused in prayer. So maybe I'm less spiritually mature than you, and I need to have this focus. Um, those two things help me so I don't have to think. I just wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm supposed to read this, and here are the things I'm supposed to pray. This, this keeps me on target. Then there's, a, then there's times... Really inspired by a story that I heard regarding Billy Graham, uh, where I was told, and maybe you've heard this as well, that besides Billy Graham's quiet time, uh, besides whatever he was reading in scripture, he also read the proverb that corresponded with the day of the month. Uh, So today, he would read Proverbs 1. So there's 31 Proverbs, and you can just, whatever the day of the month is, you can read that proverb. Some have attributed the integrity of Billy Graham's ministry over decades to the fact that this man uh, bathed himself in the wisdom and the integrity of Proverbs uh, every day of his entire life. Uh, So I thought, well that sounds like maybe something I should do. <laughs> so uh, there are times when I'm like, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, whatever day of the month it is, um, I'm going to go to that proverb. But there have been times where, where the intellectual pursuit of these things is just not where I am in, in my life. In other words, I, I'm going through struggles of, of wanting to know God's presence. I'm struggling with feeling like the Lord um, delights in me. I, I go through times where, where I just feel stale and, and dead in my spiritual life. And it is those times that I just say, you know what, I'm gonna just, just going to soak in psalms for the next two, three months. In fact, in my prayer journal, you can look at the bottom of each page. So each page is numbered for day of the month. At the bottom, it'll have, uh, you know, on the first it'll say like one 31, 61, 91. uh, Because those are the Psalms that would correspond with the day of that month. And I can just, if I'm on month one, going through the Psalms, and it's the first, I'm reading Psalm 1. I can take five months in the Psalms uh, and just soak in that. Why is that? Because of what we see here in Psalm 23. There's this intimacy. And I need that. There's times when I just need to know the Lord delights in me where I'm struggling to believe that, where I know intellectually, I know theologically these things, I, 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 know, I know about uh, God's uh, setting His affection on me, I, I know His regeneration, I know justification, I know sanctification, I know adoption, I know glorification, I know those terms. But I'm, I'm a weak human. I'm a, I'm a man who, who's been called by God just like you to to love my wife with na- nail scarred hands, as as my friend once wrote in a song, and that terrifies me <laughs> uh, because I it reveals every day my selfishness. I feel like David at times, as the 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 frustrating child of God's family, um, and I look at others and say, well, yeah, they're they're actually on the path, and I'm just like the I'm like the child that the dad says, yeah, yeah, Todd's kind of all over the place. <laughs> and it's in those seasons when I just need to bathe in psalms every day. And I just need to see these, hear these words of poetry, these heart words poured over me. And I think that's what draws us to psalm, psalms in general. And I think it's what draws us to Psalm 23 in particular. Again, all week long, I'm like, why is this psalm become so important to the church. Why is this so familiar? Why are there 14 different versions of how you can sing it? I think it's that. I think it's the the personal testimony. So as we dive into some of these phrases for the next 25 minutes, uh, let's keep that framework in mind. That framework helps us so we don't get off track and we don't let our own wandering hearts start applying to these words things that they're not. So we have in our heads Uh, the the outline we know that in those first three verses it's talking about provision and then it's going to talk about presence and then it's going to talk about preparation we understand that there's a connection here that's that he's speaking about God in the third person he provides for me he does these things and then when he goes through the valley it switches to very personal crying out you you are my God and we we understand as we look at these things we're looking at a shepherd and we're looking at a host and we're seeing David's heart here. David, who was a shepherd, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That he would write his personal testimony, he would write this in a framework of something he knew so well, what it was like to be a shepherd. And so now, let's dive into this. You notice that the, the, the second thing I've put, there, second main point for us, is that we're transformed by the word. So we're not just guided. That's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We here at Amen, we dig deep into the Word, but we don't dig deep into the Word so that we can be really smart about what we know about the Bible. We dig deep and we're guided by structures and and we want to be intellectual, but we're not just being intellectual. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed from the inside out. And so these structures, these frameworks, outlines, uh, uh, points of understanding, they are for us just a way For us to really understand God's word so that we're transformed by it. So that our hearts are moved by it. So that our lives are changed when we walk out of here. That's what we're looking at this morning. That's our prayer as we go through this. So let's look at these phrases. And sometimes this is just the the best way. Just word by word walking through any passage of scripture. David starts, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice right away, the Lord is in all caps. So the word is Yahweh. He is saying the covenant-keeping God, the the God who has said, I am going to keep my promise to you is my shepherd. Now, of course, David was a shepherd, so we've already said that. There's a connection there. David understands that. He understands what a shepherd is. It's interesting, though, to to think about or to realize that in the uh, Middle Eastern world, you know, in David's time that first of all, shepherd was one of the lowliest jobs you could have. The reason David was the shepherd and not his brothers is because you usually gave it to your youngest son. Whoever whoever was the lowest on the totem pole, that's who you gave the shepherd job to because it was a stinky, smelly job that required you to be with the sheep all the time. It was not a cool job to have. Uh, it It was low on the rung there. And so there's one aspect in which it's that. He's saying the Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that fast? The covenant-keeping God is willing to get himself dirty with us. He's willing to get into our mess and and not not into our sin in the sense of that, but get into our humanity. We'll come back to that in a second. But also it's important to note that, that while it was the lowliest job, still in the ancient world there were many times when kings were were referred to as shepherds. And that's even beautiful, isn't it? So there's a combination of a shepherd being both a, a metaphor for what a king does for his people, and then also in reality, a really lowly, dirty job. And it would make sense then that in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The king who shepherds his people, is also in Christ the one who takes on human flesh and comes and dwells among us and is actually here, uh, actually comes to earth and lives with people presenting himself in human flesh and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we have something that David only only knew through prophecy, only knew through the Spirit that there was a Messiah who would Be his shepherd. And yet we here again on this side of the cross can look at John chapter 10 and understand Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He said it. I am the good shepherd. And then it goes on and he says, I shall not want. The NIV probably puts it better here. It says "I, I shall not lack anything. And that's really the idea. It's not I shall not want. I shall not have desires. We have desires. We constantly have desires. But he's saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to lack anything. Here's the problem. Almost every day, don't we, we feel like we're lacking some things. And certainly at different points in our life, we have felt that deeply. I don't know about you brothers, but there have been times when as a provider of my family, I've been in a full-on panic. Because I'm not sure how we're gonna pay that bill. I remember one point, I remember one point in early in, in, in our lives, our married lives and our and our kids' lives, where I was, uh, I already had one car in the shop. I was borrowing uh, a friend's car. Um, I didn't know how we were gonna pay the bill for whatever needed to get our repairs done, and I was very concerned about that, pleading with God every day about that, and then my my son Zach, who at the time was like six year old, gets into the to the friend's car, takes it out of gear. It rolls down. No one was hurt, but it he rolls down the driveway into the neighbor's yard because the doors open on the pass, on the on the driver's side. It clips a tree and rips the door off. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, this makes no sense. I, I'm lacking. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bill, first bill. <laughs> how in the world am I going to pay this bill? How do I even have the call up? Hey, I'm sorry, I'm so irresponsible <laughs> that my kid just ripped the door off your car. <laughs> We've been lacking at times even for our, uh, as provider for the, the health of our family, haven't we? we felt felt, or, or even the, whether it's the spiritual health the emotional health or physical health of a of a kid that's in our home and, and, and we felt we couldn't provide and, and we're looking at God and saying I'm I'm lacking so when when David says when this psalm says when God's word says I shall not lack anything what in the, how can they say, how is that true well here's how it's true the shepherd Is going to make sure that you and I do not lack anything that the Shepherd wants for us. The Shepherd is not going to withhold anything that the Shepherd thinks I need. And now looking back, that's one of the. if, If you're a young guy in here, let me just encourage you. My dad used to say this all the time when I was young, and it drove me crazy. But now that I'm 53. It's just gospel truth. I'd get to those moments when I couldn't pay this bill. This car just had a door ripped off, and I didn't even know it. I don't even own the car, and my dad's first response would be, "Todd, everything's going to be okay," and I'm thinking, "It's "It's not going to be okay." (laughs) But you know what? I've I've learned at age 53. You know what? The Lord never withholds anything that He knows I need. I can look back on my life. You could say, "Tab, well, what happened with the car in the shop and the other door?" It turned out okay. The, 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 as I look back on, the, on, on my life, I, I have, I can see now, I've never lacked anything that the Shepherd knows I need, and I need to start. Remembering that (laughs) when tomorrow or later today I'm in a full-on panic because I'm sure I need this and the Lord's not providing. Shepherd is never going to put me in a place where I'm lacking something he knows I need. And so David goes on and he says, he leads me, or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water, waters. I wondered as I was reading that this morning early, do, do you believe, I believe that right now because things are going okay, but I wonder for you, you here this morning, do you believe that, right? Do you believe, are you, are you at that place where you could say, I know the Lord brings me, makes me lie down in green pastures, in pleasant places, we get to those places sometimes and we just don't believe that, do we? Don't, we, don't, we struggle. And that's why I think it's so good for us to be going through our Bibles every morning and, and, and underlining verses so we'd land at places like Isaiah 30, verse 18, where it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show you mercy. And you get to places like that and you're like, I'm going to underline that, or I'm going to highlight that, or I'm going to memorize that. The Lord longs to be gracious to me. He exalts himself to show me mercy. Or We get to places like Matthew chapter 7, when, when, when Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount says, how many of you, if your son asks for some bread, will give him a stone? Or asks for some fish to eat, and you're like, ha, this will be a great joke. I'm going to give him a snake that will bite him and hurt him. How many of you dads do that? And he says, you being good fathers, know how to give good gifts to your son. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? And reminded of that, that that truth, that whether or not I'm experiencing or not, he is a good father. I I certainly had to discipline my kids. Certainly I had to allow them to experience uh, their own struggles and pain. And it was very hard as a father. But I didn't delight in it. I never delighted to give them a spanking. I never delighted to see them go through struggle. But I knew those things were handed to them from the Lord. And they needed to walk through that. What I delighted to do was to be gracious and sow mercy. And I am a sinful, self-centered dad. How much more our Heavenly Father in Heaven delights himself to give us good gifts. And so yes, the shepherd brings us to green pastures. And then it says, he restores my soul. Remember it was last week in chapter 19, verse 7. Same thing. It talks about restoring our soul. That the word restores our soul, revives it, turns it, converts it, brings refreshment to it. I thought about this week. Todd, how how many times when you need your soul revived, do you turn to just other stuff? Right? Like, I, oh, what do I, I just, I'm weary. I got to have a vacation. That's going to revive my soul. I got to get to this football, this game this weekend. That's going to revive my soul. Man, I just need to get home and pour myself a glass of single barrel Jack. That is going to revive my soul. (laughs) And we know it doesn't, it does for a little bit, a couple hours couple of days but here's the good shepherd through his word through his guidance is going to refresh me is going to revive my soul and then he goes on for his namesake don't miss that that's easy to miss we're all looking at the stuff that has to do with us and there in verse 3 it says for his namesake what does that mean well his name is Yahweh And Yahweh is a covenant keeping God. It actually, the name itself declares who God is in his character. And he's saying, I'm going to do these things for the sake of my own reputation and ultimately for my glory. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you to uh, still waters. I'm going to bring you into green pastures. I'm going to restore your soul. Why? For my glory, for my name, to make a name for myself. This is something that took a long time for me to grasp a hold of. And maybe some of you uh, who have uh, heard me preach, talk about, we talked about it in, about desiring God in, in Piper a few weeks ago. This idea that, that the greatest, the ultimate uh, motivation, the ultimate purpose of anything God's doing in our life is for His glory. It is a, it is a secondary purpose That he loves us and i know that's hard for us i know it's hard for us because we want to say jesus went to the cross because he loved me that is true but it's not the whole truth and it's not the ultimate truth it is true jesus went to the cross because he loves us jesus is our good shepherd who does these things because he loves us that is true but it's not the whole truth and it's not the ultimate truth the whole truth is he does this for his glory. The ultimate truth is he does this for his glory. And we should take great confidence in that. For his glory, he will, he will not let his glory be given to any other. And so it glorifies him. That's why it says the, lo- the Lord longs to be gracious to us. He exalts himself to show us mercy. Oh, what a blessing that is. So David understands that and he says no for his namesake he does these things for his ultimate purposes for his glory he does this for me oh to take a hold of that at times when I struggle to understand his love at least I can understand well I know God wants to glorify himself and then it says in verse 4 even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death actually the hebrew here the is really the it's a it's a hyperbole it's hyper, hyperbolic language it's it's extreme it's like the valley the valley of shadows of shadows it's like the worst you can get the worst possible place you could be and if you were a uh, a Middle Eastern shepherd, when you were going from, especially as uh, it got on towards summer, when you're going from places where the flock had eaten most of the grass and you had to go to another place, you'd have to go through these wadis, these dried out streams that, that uh, had been uh, riverbeds that had been created during the storms. And you wandered into those, and it was steep down the side of it, and it was hot, and sometimes uh, you couldn't get any shade Um it's hard enough to go through there if you're just yourself. It's completely different if you're leading a, a flock of sheep through there and it was a, a dangerous place um, and you know, dehydration. And, but you had, to, you had to do that to get to these other places and that's why the shepherd is leading there. You say to yourself, why, why would the shepherd who exalts himself to show me mercy and delights himself to be gracious, why would he lead me? Why would the Lord lead me through the valley of the shadow of death? He's not leaving me. It's not because the sheep wandered off. The shepherd's actually leading us through that. Why? It's to get to a destination. It's to get us to a place of blessing. It's to work sanctification in our lives. And probably because when we're in green pastures, we're really tempted to love the grass and not the shepherd. We get all excited about that. We get comfortable. And it's not that the Lord wants to make us uncomfortable in order to just see us uncomfortable, but he knows that our ultimate pleasure is going to be in his presence. And so being attached to him is so much more important. It's interesting to watch people who feel uh, very comfortable and uh, and those who are like a little bit nervous and and stay close to their leader. My greatest example of this is I, I led one Um, I led one adult mission trip uh, uh, years back when I was doing youth ministry. And I decided I never really wanted to lead another adult mission trip again. Um, And people on the adult mission trip were saying, uh, isn't this great, Todd? This must be so much easier than leading high school students on a mission trip. And I said, no, it's actually uh, painstakingly and frustratingly harder. And they said what do you mean i said this is what happened i was talking to people on the trip i said we went through the houston airport when i've gone through the houston airport with a bunch of teenagers they just stay with me when i'm walking through the market in merida mexico they just stay with me why because i'm the only one that knows where anybody where anybody's supposed to go and they don't and they're not comfortable they're not comfortable unless they're next to me and i love that because i don't have to worry about i don't have say hey come over here to I said, we walked through the Houston airport with all of you. This is the adults on that trip. And I said, I mean, the smell of pizza wandered you off, you know? And I I said, I'm like, I looked behind me, and half of you were gone. And we had to go find another gate. And I said, why is it? You felt comfortable, you felt confident. So you wandered away. The Lord, in His graciousness, brings us to those places where we're going through the valley of the shadow of death because. He knows that our ultimate pleasure will not be found in the grass that he provides. His ultimate pleasure will be found in his presence that he provides. And so he leads us to those places for his name's sake as well. And what happens? He says, I'm not afraid, David says, because you are with me. So it's terrifying there. But my fears are alleviated because your presence, you are there. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were Psalm 16? In verse 5, when David says, the Lord is my portion. Not the things that the Lord gives me are my portion. The Lord is my portion. He is enough. I don't have to have anything else. That's what David is saying here. When I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I just need you, or look at this, turn, we'll probably get here next semester, or, but t- turn your Bibles to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is one of those psalms like Psalm uh, 13, where uh, the psalmist, Asaph, is getting to just vent about how frustrated he is with, with, with the Lord. And he starts out in verse 1 saying, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then he says in verse 2, verse two But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. So he starts out saying, You're, This is the truth. God is good to people who are in Israel. And then he goes on to say, But I look at the other people who aren't following you, and their lives are great, and mine is not. He goes on to vent and just say, They, they have more money. It even says... They're, they're in better shape. Their bodies look better. And everybody flocks to them. They mock you, and everybody listens to them. And he gets this point where he says, surely I have kept my heart pure in vain. I have followed you, and it's been useless, God. So he's venting all this stuff, and then it switches. And he, and he comes out of it and says, I, those things were confusing to me until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I come out of it. And as he comes out of it, he begins to understand the intimacy of God. And here's what's fascinating. So verse 1 says, truly, God is good to Israel. Look what it says, the very last verse of Psalm 73. But as for me, it is good to be near God. What Asaph has done in the midst of his valley of the shadow of death, what he's been led by his Savior, by his good shepherd, is from a place where he's like, I know you're good. You don't seem good right now. Because you're not giving me what I think I need, and then he gets to that place through prayer, through worship, where he says, "Oh, it's good to be near God. That's what good is." And same thing here. David is saying, "I just need your presence. Your presence is everything. Your rod and your staff." It's a, I think, I think I'd heard years ago that rod was like the thing that you know is going to whip me in line, going to keep me in line, and then my st- staff guides me. I had to look this up and really study it. Actually, the, the rod, they're, they're almost exactly the same words. Uh, so it's almost like it's saying staff and staff, rod and rod. But there's a little bit different there. And if there is some difference, the rod would have been, uh, the staff would have been the long shepherd thing we're used to seeing. A rod would have been this little, little thing about this big, a uh, little stick with kind of a ball on the end. Um, and it was meant as a club. It was meant as a, not to club the sheep, so don't worry here. It was meant as a, to club anything else that came near the sheep. Um, and so uh, that's what's intended here, that the shepherd has both a weapon to protect the sheep and a staff to guide the sheep. So I'm not afraid to walk through the valley because when I go through the valley, I know that my good shepherd has something, has a weapon against my enemies, against the evil one. I know he has that weapon. I also know he has a staff to guide me. And so it's both the security of not worrying about my enemies. and At the same time, it's a blessing of knowing that I'm going to be guided on the right path. I'm going to be put in the right place. That's what rod and staff mean. And then he says, prepare a table for me. And I want to, we, we may have to fly through the rest, but I got to stop here and just, to me, this is a, a reference to, I think, one of the, the most amazing and, and often untold stories in all of Scripture. Maybe some of you remember the character Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When Saul and Jonathan died, Mephibosheth was five years old, 2 Samuel chapter 4. The nurse gra- and, he, and the son was crippled. The nurse grabbed Mephibosheth and went and hid him because it was custom in that time when one king took over for another king, all of that king's family and relatives were put to death. Certainly, the grandson of the king could not be, the old king could not be left alive. And so she hid him. And then in 2 Samuel 9, David says, I want to honor Jonathan are there any? Are there? Is there anybody left alive from Saul's house? And somebody says, "Well, there's this Mephibosheth. He's, he's crippled." And David says, "Send for him." And Mephibosheth comes in crippled. So he's not a. I mean, he's 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 struggling to have any dignity in this, in, in that society to begin with. And now he's been called to the king. And, and I imagine he's thinking, "I'm I'm going to be put to death, or I'm going to be put in exile." exile is the best thing that's going to happen to me death for sh- but but death probably and he appears before King David and he says I don't know what you want with me a dog I'm your sir. and he just he says I'm a I'm a dog I'm crippled I'm the grandson of your enemy and David says mephibosheth I've made it I've made a place for you at my table the king's table and I want you to eat there Mephibosheth thinks, okay, well, I've got a guest at the king's table today. This will be a good day. And David says, no, no, no. You're going to sit at my table for your entire life. You will always have this seat at my table. You will sit here as if you were my son. The picture of the gospel there is Astounding the crippled outcast dog, the grandson of the enemy, being called and said, no, I'm not not just forgiving you. I'm not just going to let you live. No, no, I've made a, a place for you at this table, and I want you to stay here, not just for a little bit. I want you to always be here, like you're my son. Whether David wrote this psalm after The experience of Mephibosheth or before certainly had these things in mind, whether when he brought Mephibosheth to the table or whether he wrote this song later. This idea that the shepherd makes a place for him at his table. And it's in front of his enemies. It's to display, it's it's this picture of of someone fleeing to the temple, and the enemies were not allowed into the temple, and now they're there and they're seeing, and they're waiting outside, and while they're waiting outside, the king shows, hey, listen, this is my son. So you watch this, enemies. Watch me treat him as a son. That That the Lord, the good shepherd, actually puts on display before Satan and his demons that you are his son. That's what's taking place every day, brothers. That your heavenly father is putting on display for the evil one and his, and his demons that you are his son and you are honored and he wants them to see it. He wants them to see you dine at his table. He wants them to see you be treated as a son, as a firstborn son in the face of Satan and his evil ones. To display it. And not only that, he's gonna anoint your head with oil. He's gonna do what is only done for those who are very honored guests. He's gonna pour oil, he's gonna show that honor. And then it says, Goodness and mercy shall follow me. The words shall follow me there actually are pursue. It's not like they're gonna follow after you, like you're running and you got a dog who's coming behind you. No, it's actually they're calling after you and there is a hound on your tail. There is a hunting dog hunting you down. And this hunting dog is called goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy are hunting you. They hunt after you because God has set them on your tail. Goodness and mercy. And that you and I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're not just a guest. Mephibosheth, it's not just today today. It's not just today you can sit at my table. No, you're going to be here forever. You're not just a guest. You're family. And let me say this, brothers. It's not just future. This isn't just talking about heaven. This is talking about now. Why? Because the, the dwelling of God, the house of God, what does that mean? It means his presence. The temple meant nothing unless the presence of God through the, cloud or the, p- the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire rested upon it. It was just a dumb building. Well, pretty building once it got set up in Jerusalem. But it was just a tent out in the wilderness. It wasn't the house of God until God's presence was there. So listen, brothers, it's not just you're waiting for heaven to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're dwelling right now. His presence is you dwelling. That's the display that Satan is making or that, that God is making before Satan. Today, in his face, look at my sons. They feast at my table. My good friend, Doug Bradbury, I haven't seen him in years. He used to lead these wilderness trips. And this man had a way of describing the love of God uh, gloriously. And every time I leave, he would say this to me. He said, Todd, sometimes he even grabbed my shoulders. He'd say, Todd, you are a son of the king. Now go live like one. The psalm is saying to us today, brothers: you are sons of the King. Now let's go out here these doors and live like one. We pray for us, Heavenly Father. We are thankful for your Word. How precious it is! How deep it is! very living word of God that restores our soul. Father, whether we are going through the valley of the shadow of death right now or whether we feel like we're experiencing green pastures, whether we feel like we're feasting at the banquet table right now or whether we feel like we're an upside-down sheep who needs to be restored. Whatever it is, Father, the truth is that you are the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. So, Father, seal those words to our hearts, and then for us, by the power of your spirit, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable today in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock, our shepherd, and our redeemer, it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.